Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA President, Dr. Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy, and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Whether you work with elite athletes or weekend warriors, you've probably come across hamstring injuries on a reasonably regular basis. Perhaps you've even done a hamstring yourself. Now, hammy strains are one of the most common soft tissue injuries, so it's important for all chiropractors to understand how they can best manage them. Earlier this year, I had the pleasure of joining a few hundred chiropractors and chiropractic students at the Sports Chiropractic Australia Symposium in Perth. It was a fantastic event with lots of great speakers, one of whom was SCA President Dr. Luke Nelson. Luke did a really terrific precy on the diagnosis and management of hamstring injuries, so I thought I would ask him to share his wisdom and knowledge on this topic with the ACA podcast today. Now, a little background on Luke. Luke's been in private practice for 15 years and recently founded Health and High Performance in Mont Albert North. His special interest is in treating sporting injuries and in particular with running. In 2016, Luke was awarded the Australian Chiropractors Association Sports Chiropractor of the Year. He's worked with a number of sporting teams and elite athletes from a variety of different sports, including athletics, AFL, triathlon, golf, cricket, mixed martial arts, and CrossFit. He's a keen fitness enthusiast himself, and Luke has competed in a variety of different sports throughout his life, but his number one love at the moment is running. Luke's competed in five marathons, an ultra-marathon, and two Ironman triathlons. It makes me tired just saying that. <laughs> Luke is uh, an international sports chiropractic practitioner. He's got a postgraduate diploma in sports chiropractic and a master's of sports science. As well as being SCA president, Luke's also the vice president of Sports Medicine Australia Victorian Committee, and he's on the finance commission for the Federation of International Sports Chiropractic. Hi, Luke. Welcome to the ACA podcast. Thanks very much, Anthony. I, I, before we uh, go any further, I should correct that my number one love is my wife and kids. So ah. uh, before before running, so uh, she she does listen to uh, these podcasts. So I better uh, I better make sure that uh, that we do the right thing there. So very I'll, uh, smart. I'll just correct that one. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, Anthony. That's an absolute pleasure. Um, and, and look, thanks for being a part of the the, the podcast. I thought your presentation um, at the uh, Sports Chiropractic Symposium was absolutely fantastic. So I, I'm really keen to. Uh, delve uh, straight into the whole hamstring injury thing. So just how common are hamstring injuries and what are the typical sports where you'll find these types of injuries? Yeah, you're right. They are, they are very common, as you mentioned in the uh, introduction there. And, and uh, um, in the AFL, we've got the, an incident rate of 30%. So it's, it's, it is the most common injury that we see in, in Aussie rules footy. Um, and we also, the trouble with them, not only are they, are they a high incident, but they're also a very high recurrence rate. So a recurrence rate of about 34% in, uh, in AFL footy. And this is by the statistics that have, um, have the, the AFL been tracking over the years. Um, so that they're very common. Um, the well, the majority of hamstring injuries uh, occur in sports demanding high speeds. So uh, in Australia, this includes uh, AFL footy, uh, also soccer, and uh, and also athletics and, and sprinting. Um, so they're either they're either usually injured at uh, at speed 
or they can also be injured with stretching. So things like, again, like kicking or bending forwards. So um, in soccer it, it, and, and footy, it can be kicking the ball, but it can also be in things like gymnastics and performing manoeuvres there or or bending forwards, uh, you know, to pick up a ball, uh, these sort of things. So so very common, um, very high recurrence rate and uh, and sort of some of our big sports in Australia with uh, AFL, soccer and, and, you know, throw cricket in there as well too. Uh, we see them uh, see them a lot. Um, the, the trouble with the you know, when we're distinguishing between whether they occurred at speed or whether they occurred with stretching. Um the stretching ones actually tend to take a bit longer, and we can probably talk about a little bit more about that uh, that later on. But that uh, they tend to have a, a longer prognosis. So, yeah, very common. I mean, I think most uh, people who follow sports like AFL or, or NRL are very familiar with that um, that typical, you know. Person running grabs all of a sudden their hamstring, and I think you you know your guy on the sideline probably already knows he's out for about four weeks. But before we jump to the conclusion that it is a hammy, and probably it's fairly obvious in terms of the onset, but what are the other things that we need to think about in terms of a differential diagnosis? Yeah, you're right there. You can, you can usually um, you'd be fairly certain on your diagnosis when um, from the mechanism that they, they explain. So there usually is a, you know, they're, they're running or a kicking or at speed and they feel a sudden pull or a grab or, you know, the old uh, felt like I've been shot by a sniper. Um, you know, you've seen some of those, the footage of, of players that have, have been uh, a tear and they, they fall flat on their face. Um, so usually the, the, the mechanism gives us a fairly good understanding of, of, of what's going on. Um, they often describe it as being a sharp or, or a popping or tearing their sensation, um, and they often will point to, to uh, where it is. Now, um, sometimes when they present to us in clinic, you can actually there, there may be some some uh, bruising that's uh, some ecchymosis that's that's come up there, uh, and that's obviously bleeding from the uh, from the actual tear. So again, that gives you a pretty, pretty confident that that's uh, that's what's what's going on. Um, probably the biggest differential we've got to distinguish between a hamstring injury is is nerve related. Uh, and sometimes you see this referred to in the uh, in the media as a as a back related hamstring, and and uh, you know as chiropractors that's, uh, that's sort of our, our, our bread and butter there dealing with uh, with those sort of issues. Um, ways to distinguish between a, a nerve related and a and a, a, a muscle injury. Um, firstly, with a muscle, you you'll tend to have, as I said, that that mechanism, that real sudden pop tearing, um, and uh, and obviously the bruising. But um, with a nerve related, they 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 often don't have such an inciting incident that they it's, it can be a bit more vague like they just sort of feel tightness that's been coming on more gradually um, and they also tend to uh, describe the pain as being a bit more generalized rather than it's right here you know pointing with a finger or two this is the spot that I feel it um, with a nerve related they'll sort of say oh it's all around this sort of area here the, the, the back of the thigh um, some of the tests that I'll, I'll then use. So the a sitting slump test is a, is a good way to uh, to assess that that neural related um, uh, thigh pain, uh, and you do that by getting the patient sitting, and then they, they sort of flex forward as you as you straighten the leg, um, and uh, if that um, you then if that reproduces their pain, you can then get them looking up. If that relieves it, then you can be you know certain that there is a, a, a nerve related component to that. 
Also keep in mind, though, that when you do have an actual hamstring injury and there is bleeding around that uh, around that area, and that can actually irritate the nerve as well. So you can have actually two existing at the same time. In fact, very often they do. And one of the things that we do in, in part of the rehab for any hamstring is, is making sure that, that the uh, obviously the nerve function and that uh, the neurodynamics are, are working as they should. So you can have them both at the same time. Um, the the other thing to differentiate with the hamstring when it when it happens is you, you've got to figure out obviously which which muscle it's in. Um, the other the other sort of more sinister hamstring injury that can occur is is what's called an intramuscular tendon injury. Now, the tendons for that the hamstring actually. Um, not, they're not just simply at the ends of the muscle. They actually penetrate right through the through the muscle there. And so sometimes you can have injuries that um, that are, the, the with the tear can go through those those intramuscular tendons. And and they'll tend to when the, the the athlete when they tend to describe those, they actually can be more a lower grade one. Like they just sort of feel like no, oh, my hamstrings just feels like a bit of a cramp. Like it's just doesn't it doesn't feel right there. You know, it's not as severe as that pop I've just been shot in the leg. It's more like no, it just doesn't feel right. I just can't hit that that full speed, um, and, and they're actually going to be wary of those because they do. They actually tend to take longer, even though they present initially, you know, not too bad. You might think, oh yeah, you'll be right. You only miss a week or two. Um, they can sometimes be. Those guys can miss sometimes six, eight weeks plus uh, with those with those tendon injuries. So, so they're probably a few. The, the, the main differential is yeah that that nerve related, but then also distinguishing between is it you know have you got some some tendon involvement there as well too. So let's assume it's not an intramuscular tear. We don't think it's a back-related uh, injury, although I assume all chiropractors will be interested in the mechanics of the low back and pelvis in a hamstring injury. Um, we're going to need to do some uh, assessment, and part of that assessment is, of course, confirming diagnosis, but part of it, I guess, is is benchmarking where they're at uh, so that we can sort of work out some sort of uh, program to rehabilitate them and get them uh, eventually back onto, uh, onto the field. What are some of the key sort of a, a assessment tests that you do with these sorts of injuries? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm very big for assessments and, and especially for objective assessment as well too. So that, that does allow you to um, to firstly grade the severity um, and then also track the progress and, and then allow you to, to have a successful uh, return to play and return to performance. So um, first up with um, and, and one of the things I often get asked with imaging, um, you know, do we image these? Do we get, a, get an MRI? Uh, I don't. Um, most of the time, as I said before, you can make the diagnosis off off your uh, your physical examination. Um, the if you are suspecting a tendon involvement, and that's where the the um, the MRI can can come in handy. But generally, you don't need to uh, don't need to, to go to this. Uh, and even grading off an MRI, um, there's been studies to show that that actually doesn't work very well. That just because it looks severe on an MRI with a tear doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a, a prolonged uh, recovery. So um, so that's the first one with scans but um what i tend to use um a, a number of uh different assessment protocols but one of the the, the sports medicine groups over in doha qatar called the aspatar group they've got quite a good um a hamstring assessment protocol and i use um components of, of that so so firstly when, you, when you're seeing uh the athlete come into into your practice uh you ask them you know what your average pain is today out of 10 
Uh, are they getting any pain on walking, getting any pain on jogging, uh, and then looking at some starting to then get to a bit more into some movement. So can they do a toe touch without pain? Uh, what's it like doing a, a, a double-legged squat? So just squatting there, um, and then they do a single-leg squat, uh, and also then doing a, like a heel drag or mud slide manoeuvre, which is basically trying to – imagine you're trying to scrape mud off the, the, the bottom of your, of your foot. You're standing up and dragging that heel along the ground. So all those sort of things there you're looking for – does that does that produce pain? Um, and then going on from that, uh, from the the those assessments there, I'll then move on to to palpation. So um, you're always comparing both sides. Get the get the patient to firstly just to tell you where it's sore. They'll, they'll sort of say, oh, it hurts right here, so that you know around about where it uh, where it is. Um, and then what I'll do is I'll start I'll start from the bottom of the hamstring, work my way up, and then trying to find it, get the patient to tell me where it's sore. And so as soon as they say, yeah, oh yeah, that's that's starting to get saw there put a little mark to put a little mark there with your skin pencil and then start at the top of the hamstring and same again work your way down and what you'll get is you'll get then get an, an area and you can also so you can measure the 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 uh, the length of the, of the saw area the tenderness and you can also measure the width of it as well too so um so that's uh, that's a good way you can also track so you can look at how that that area then shrinks as they as they get better so it might start off with you know a six centimeter six centimeter long and a, and a four centimeter wide um a tenderness area, and you can actually monitor that as you uh, as you you go to uh, to to ensure that they're they're progressing. Um, you also want to measure where that tenderness is, the distance that tenderness is from the ischial tuberosity, so up, up by the buttock there, because yep. we know that the that the higher up um, the the tear is. Uh, the, the 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 longer prognosis they tend to have. So the ones high, higher up the butter buttock there tend to involve a little bit more tendon involvement, and they tend to be a little bit slower. So um, so so measuring uh, measuring that distance is also quite handy too. Um, and then you also want to distinguish which which muscle it's in because we've got our three three hamstring muscles. So we've got our biceps femoris on the outside, and then we've got our semitendinosus and our semimembranosus on the inside. So so just jotting down which muscle it's in because uh, that can sort of help guide your rehab a little bit. Um, and uh, and then also uh, that that length. Um, then moving on from the palpation, then then I'll go for a range of range of movement assessment. So you'll get them on on their back and get them doing a straight leg raise. So you know what the you can measure that that range there. So and then you can then you can test it passively. So can you actually move it a bit a bit further? Also measure that angle there too. And we want to look for, for symmetry between the uh, between the two sides. Um, then we've got a what's called a, a pain free uh, passive knee extension test. And what that is is the patient's laying on their back, they bend the hip up to, to 90 degrees, and then they try and straighten the knee as much as they can. Now, they will feel, anyone with a hamstring tear will feel sort of a bit of a pulling there, so you just sort of mark it at where they can, the angle at which they can get their uh, their, their shin, so you put the uh, you put your iPhone on there with the um, with the goniometer, and that you can just track that um, that the uh, the angle there. Then the next test we go for is a, a maximal hip flexion and knee extension test. So what this one is, this one's a little bit different, in that you get them bringing the knee all the way up to the chest, bring it up to the chest there, and then you straighten the, you try and straighten the knee there. They, they actually straighten their knee. And again, just measuring the angle off that, uh, off that chin. Um, then the last one, the last one as well too, which is more sort of an, a, a, a latter stage test that, that I'll use, um, and it was developed by a, a guy named Carl Askling, and he's done a bit of research on this. Uh, he calls this the H test. So what the H test is is laying on their back, they've got both legs straight, and then what they do is they kick their leg up as high as they can, keeping it straight. They've got to kick it all the way up to their head as high as they can, doing that three times in a row as quickly as they can there, and looking at, at uh, the difference from side to side. So 
often you'll see those with with hamstring injuries they won't want to kick it very high and there's often quite slow and and and, and hesitation so that's sort of a, a latter stage test that you can also also use to gauge their uh, their, their return readiness to return um, and as you mentioned as well too in that in that question with the uh, looking at the uh, the kinetic chain um, and you know especially around the the, the lumbo pelvic area so I think as chiropractors we've got a pretty good understanding of the, the importance of that that kinetic chain and also spinal function um, and and these these need to be assessed in the in the exam as well so you know a lot of these tests I mentioned just before are hamstring specific but we want to be going and assessing you know we want to be assessing the strength of that lumbo pelvic area the movement of that lumbo pelvic area you know testing things like plank holds and side plank holds and, and, and back endurance tests as well too uh, to give us a good understanding of their uh, their, their um, uh, lumbar pelvic strength um, and we also want to look at the opposite opposite hip so that's really important so um, we often find or can sometimes find that they they have a lack of hip extension on the on the opposite side so for instance if they've torn their left hamstring if they've got a lack of hip extension in their in their right their right hip uh, what that can do during running gait is it can actually cause cause an excessive anterior pelvic tilt during running, uh, and then that puts a lot more stress on the uh, on the the hamstring on the on the swing leg because that's often where where the hamstring is torn during running gait is during that swing phase. So making sure that they've got that full hip extension so that they then don't go into that anterior pelvic tilt when they're uh, when they're they're, they're running. Um, and and there's some emerging research as well that um, that running mechanics can can actually influence hamstring injury. So um, so you can assess, obviously, how the range and, and the strength around that uh, that area, um, but also actually watching them run is also is um, at, at a later stage can be quite important because if there's certain things that need to be tweaked with their technique, well, that, that can uh, certainly be altered uh, altered as well. Um, so I think that sort of goes through some of the uh, some of the, the, the range of movement uh, tests that will and some of the functional tests that we'll start to do. Luke, that sounded fantastic, and and just for the to try and try and create some word pictures uh, for our podcast um, listeners here, I just want to go back over three of the things that you mentioned there, so that I understand it clearly in my mind. One was the the, the heel drag. So this is uh, with the patient. I'm assuming lying on their back, the heels into the uh, into the ground, and they're just pulling the heels in and sliding along some somewhat slippery surface. Is that what what that involves? No, that one's just actually standing. So you get them standing up. So what I'll do is I'll do those tend to run through. It's a bit of a flow. Like we'll get them doing the you know toe touch, double squat, single leg squat, uh, and then get them just doing this heel drag whilst they're standing. So they're right. standing up. They they put um, so say they've injured they injured their left hamstring. Get them standing on their right leg, and then the 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 um the, the left one they're just going to drag drag the heel into the into the ground like as if you you know you've got some mud on the on your heel and you're trying to scrape that mud off uh, off your heel whilst gotcha. you're uh, whilst you're standing up. Yeah. Very good. The other uh, one was that, and I'm assuming this is a supine one because you explained it with your supine test, is that the pain-free passive knee extension test. So is this just, is this like a, a straight leg raise or is something a bit more to it there? No, so with that one, you, you bring that. Um, it's it's sort of similar, you know. I go from the flow from that as I go from the active straight leg raise, uh, passive straight leg raise, and then go into this um, this uh, passive knee extension uh, test, which is so you, you you flex their hip up to ninety degrees, right. and their knees their knees bent at you know at ninety degrees, yep. and then they gradually straighten their knee. You got to make sure that the hip stays stays flexed at that ninety degrees. Right. So they straighten their knee to the point where they get oh no, that's where it starts to get sore, uh, and then you just measure the angle of the, what what the shin can. Get to. Yes. And the last one you mentioned was the maximal hip flexion and active extension, but this is 
similar to the one you've just described, except the hip goes as far as it can passively go and then they actively extend their knee is that right correct yeah yeah they just sort of they they bring their knee up to their chest and they just sort of hold um behind their thigh there they hold their knee to their uh, knee up to their chest and then they then they actually try and straighten their knee as well and again just measuring that angle off the shin to what they can get to fantastic so um you use handheld dynamometry to to um measure strength for hamstrings or other muscles for for that matter yeah, so again, going back to that, you know, collecting that objective data to, to you know, um, grade the severity and also um, track progression and readiness to return to play. Um, so I'll, I'll use a, a handheld dyno. I've been using that for, for a number of years. Um, we'll tend to do um, – so what, what you do with that, um, and there's a few different different brands about. I've, I've previously used the Microfess and, and uh, now use the, the Axet um, handheld dyno. But um, what you want to do – so I'll, I'll test test three positions with this so i'll firstly get them on their tummy um, and they're just bending their their knee up slightly so um, they're probably probably bent about 30 degrees Uh, and then what you do there is with your handheld dyno you get them to push as hard as they can uh, into into the, the your handheld dyno there um, for about four seconds. Um, so they're pushing as hard as they can, push, 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 push. They relax, get them resting for about 10 seconds, and then you repeat that a couple of times. Um, so you test on test on the uh, at that, that range there. Then you compare to the good side. So you're always comparing the, the left and right. Uh, then the next test, the second one I'll move on to is what's called a mid-range strength. Uh, and that's, again, lying on their, on their tummy um, and uh, and then also then bending the knee right up to up to 90 degrees. Actually, I should correct that first test was the mid range test. This uh, then the next one here is the inner range. So this inner range one is when you get them bending their knee to 90 degrees. Right. So the first one you test at 30 degrees. This second one you test at 90 degrees. Yep. Then you repeat the same again. Some people may find, especially if they don't have good strength, there they can find like it's going to cramp, and it can even do that on the on the good side. Um, that's the second one. Again, comparing good to, good to good to bad. You know, doing three repeats of re- repeats of that, and you're just taking the maximal score as well too off off each side. Then the last one we've got is uh, is then you flip them on their back. Uh, now this one here you need to do if you're going to do it on a table, you need to have a belt to sort of tie them to the to the table here because what you're going to do with this is you're going to they're going to bend their their hip up to to uh, 90 degrees. They're going to have their knee bent at 90 degrees, and then they're going to be pushing their heel down into you, so contracting that hamstring. So if you don't have a belt, what will happen is their hips will just come off the table. So yes. you need just sort of a belt, and, and I use uh, what's called a mulligan belt, but you know it's, it looks like a seat belt essentially. Just strap that around their tummy and that keeps them onto the table and then they just push down as hard as they can there uh, and that's that's then that's called we, we call that one outer range strength so those three ones we've got the first one we've got the the mid-range strength at 30 degrees and we've got their inner range strength at 90 and then we flip them on their back we have the hips up to hip up to 90 knee at 90 and then and test that uh, that third one there um so what we want to see is we want to see see that get to within 90 percent before we return to play so that's one about one of the criteria that we'll that we'll use we want to see that so see that there and it's good from a patient's point of view as well to see that because they can actually see oh yeah you know it's it is it is quite down or um and, and it also helps you to um, them to understand, you know, I, I can't return to play until I, until I've hit those scores. So, um, so yeah, very very useful, very useful to get that uh, that objective data. Um, the other thing as well, which I've started doing a little bit more of, and, and these are for guys that have probably had a bit more more recurrent hamstring issues, is I'll also 
test them when they're when they're fatigued. So right. you can test them, then you can get them doing whether that's just some repeated sprints. So you might just get them doing um, you know just a ten maximal efforts, just a short short sort of distance, you know, fifty meters, and then you retest them again. Uh, and there's been some research actually last year um, by by Lord um, that showed that actually they were able to in a group of AFL players they were able to predict with 100% accuracy um, those that had previously injured their hamstring because they dropped they dropped their strength um, and I think it was from the control group was about 5% and then the um, the actual intervention the ones that had previously torn their hamstring they dropped about 15 or 16% so they dropped a lot more so um, so that's uh, that's something you can you can do um, is, is retest them after you've, you've fatigued them. So you mentioned a little bit earlier about some, or you touched on briefly, some functional sort of tests. And I imagine that uh, eventually some of these functional tests might actually become some of the rehab as well. Uh, can you go through some of those sorts of things like the bent uh, leg bridge uh, double and those sorts of things? Yeah, you're, you're right, and, and that's 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 one of the, the beauties of, of your assessments is that it, it does lead on to you know it, it blends into um, the what 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 level you get them in for uh, for rehab. So um, one of the one of the simplest tests that we'll get them to do, and the easiest ones is is doing a, a bent a bent knee bridge. So um, just laying on the back, 30 degrees, and doing three of those. You know, can they do them? Great, okay, and and um, then we test them, progress them up to doing it on a single leg. So can they do a single leg bridge? Um, same again, three reps of those. Then what we do is then we make it a bit more challenging. So we go to uh, go to the, the, the first position again with a bridge. But what we do with this is we put um, some furniture sliders. So you can do lots of different things here. Furniture sliders under their feet. Um, now, you can also have – you can just have um, – if you've got a slippery floor at home, you can just have socks or you can use a piece of paper or, you know, cardboard, whatever's going to slide across because what you're going to do is you're going to get them to bridge up and then you're going to get them to, whilst they're maintaining their hips up high in that bridge, you're going to get them to straighten the legs out. So sliding those out nice and slowly there, all the way out to straight. Make sure that they keep those those hips off the uh, off the floor. And you're going to do three repeats of that. And then next, you're going to progress them onto onto doing that on one leg. So doing that on the, on the sore leg. Can they do that there? Um, and uh, and then if they can, if they can get to, if they can do a single leg, then you can actually then test them on some some hamstring Nordics Nordics exercises as well. So so that's a good thing is it, it allows you to sort of measure their progression, um, but also uh, to to pick what uh, what what part of their rehab that you're going to uh, you're going to do with them. Clearly, the sliders is for the more uh, advanced athlete, uh, not necessarily for your average uh, person who's just wanting to get out there and uh, move their body a little bit. Um, well, I'd, but- I'd actually, I'd, you, you, you'd be surprised. Actually, it, it, it sounds it sounds tricky, but um, really, anyone that's anyone that has torn their hamstring doing any sort of athletic athletic pursuit. Um, should be able to do that manoeuvre, and and even your, your everyday person can can often get out a couple on on the uh, the double leg. The single leg is a bit trickier, um, but but I, I'd certainly say for for anyone that's uh, that's wanting to return to sport, they really need to be doing one of those. And if, if they can't, well, they're they're uh, they're obviously you know fairly uh, considerably weak and and, uh, and and really run the risk of of, uh, of you know re-injuring again. So it's a, you give all that all those things you can give uh, put it on pause and, and give it a go yourself at home. <laughs> Well, I'm certainly going to try that now. Get my socks on and get onto the um, the floorboards and just see if I can do yep. it before I start uh, recommending it to patients. That's for sure. Well, that's can great, mate. Make sure you send me the video of you doing it too, so <laughs> we, can, we can share it around and have a laugh. But yeah, very good. <laughs> now, just um, can you go through the Nordic? You mentioned that. Just to explain what how you do that exercise. 
Yeah, so the Nordic Nordic hamstring curl is is a um, one of the exercises that does have a, a lot of research behind it in terms of uh, um, hamstring injury prevention, um, and even in a number of studies, actually showing a fifty percent reduction in hamstring strain. So it's a, a really uh, really good exercise. There's a lot of people that that uh, will argue that it's not really functional and it doesn't resemble what you're doing with running, but you know what? It, it, the research is backing behind it in that it, that it gives you the strength and it, and it does reduce the reduce the uh, the injury rate. So uh, at the moment, we don't have anything. Anything better than that? So, what the Nordic is is you um, have the the patient kneeling on the floor, and it's always good to have a bit of a have them kneeling on a cushion so it doesn't hurt the knees there. What they then try and do is you you're, you are behind them and you're on the ground with them and you're holding their heels down. So you're holding their heels down to the ground or their feet down to the ground. Then what they try and do is they try and lower their upper body as slowly, slowly as they can down to uh, down to the floor. And there'll be a point where they just can't hold it anymore and they just drop drop down to the floor there. So, yeah, obviously you get them to have their hands out ready to, to catch their uh, catch them fall so they don't land flat on their face. Um, but that's that's, an, that's what a Nordic, uh, Nordic hamstring curl is. So basically you sitting on their, their legs to hold them, they lower all the way down and uh, and, and try and hold on for as, as slow down as, as, uh, as slowly and, and for as long as they can. So they're basically doing an eccentric contraction of the hamstring, but the whole spine and everything stay remains straight as they lower. Exactly, and that's that's one of the keys too, is to make sure that they don't bend at the hips, because what they'll often want to do is they will try and sort of flex forward at the hips there. But exactly as you said, you want them in a straight line from their thigh all the way through their spine there. Fantastic. So um, we go through the rehabilitation phase, and we're now graduating back to activity. What are the sort of steps we need to look at, or the things that we need to monitor during this uh, return to activity? Yeah. So if if we want to, you know, if we're, we're trying to pursue a a return to performance, and I always say, you know, I like I like the term re- return to performance rather than just getting them back to return to play. So if we're trying to get them back to uh, back to performance, um, then you always want to begin with the with the the end goal in mind. So you've got to take into consideration what what the athlete needs to be able to do. So do they need to to run at high speeds? They need to be kicking high, and so then you you know you you stage progressions from that. For instance, if you if the athlete needs to be hitting top speed and sprinting well then you need to work out some steps in between so that would be you know walking jogging slow sprinting and then and then sprinting as, as quickly as they can um, so it's really important that you know progressive rehab is, is really important for these these guys so it's not just you know you give them a couple of exercises and say and say there you go um, the, the it's, it's it's important also to base off criteria and base rehab so you know, the, some of the things that we mentioned before are exactly that so we, we want to see them hit certain certain marks rather than just sort of saying at a certain time you'll be ready to do this. It's more like, okay, you can do a, a double leg bridge, let's go on to a single. You can do this, you, you can then progress onto, onto that. Um, we want to start starting early with our rehab. You can start with, with isometrics, so some isometric contractions. Um, early on as well too, in terms of with the with the running, these guys can often when when whenever someone injures a hamstring, some people can actually run uh, within within a day or two, and that's just a very slow shuffle and a jog. So if if someone can run and jog, I'll get them running, um, and uh, and you can actually then progress them progress them quite quickly on on from that. Some people can't even walk, so obviously you're not going to be not going to be doing that. But as early as you can get them running, get them uh, get them out there. Um, you want to mix up with your with your rehab exercises. You want to to do to mix some um, what's called knee dominant and hip dominant exercises, so uh, that mixes up the different hamstrings um, that, uh, that that are, uh, are exercised and rehabbed. Um, 
The another good question we often get is is you know should you should you train with pain? So if you're doing something and, the, and it's painful, well, should you stop? Um, now Jack Hickey's group um, and we did a, 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 an SCA webinar with Jack Hickey last year, but um, his group looked at um, the difference between um, getting a one group to exercise without pain, uh, coming back from a hamstring injury, and another group exercising with pain, but so long as it stayed below a four out of ten. Um, what they found was that they found that they that there was there was no difference in the return to play time and, and re-injury rate, but the, the the pain the pain threshold groups so those that sort of kept to kept to a four had a greater a greater and faster return to uh, to, to strength. So so I'm I'm, a, I'm an advocate for that and, and educating the patient that it's okay to have a bit of pain so long as we keep it below a four out of ten. So we don't want any sharp sort of you know pings or or grabs when you when you're doing these exercises. But if we can keep it below four, we're uh, we're safe. Um, then um, we've mentioned the Nordics. Nordics are pretty important. So where I'd, how I tend to to progress those is you obviously go with your your bent leg um, and your single leg. Once you can hit a single leg bridge, then you start on the on the sliders. So you can start on the double sliders. Then you progress to single sliders. Once you can get to once you can start doing the single sliders, you can then also start to um, to do the Nordics uh, and also uh, also um, a running interval program as well too. So that's of the, the, the criteria based um, I was referring to before um, and uh, and then we're ready to you know then progress onto the onto the running final thing just to clarify you, you mentioned earlier about uh, the importance of knowing which of the hamstrings uh, is involved and you mentioned mm. just in your just then about knee dominant versus hip dominant uh, activities can you just touch yep. on that a little bit and explain um, how that all works yeah, for sure. So as I mentioned earlier on, there are three three hamstring muscles. So you've got your outer one, your biceps femoris, which is the more commonly torn one, I should add. Uh, and then you've got the inside ones, your semimembranosus and your semitendinosus. Now, the because the, the biceps femoris uh, crosses um, both hips, it crosses both joints, sorry, it crosses your, your hip and also the knee. Um, and so it, it tends to be more involved in, in uh, and, and, and activated more in hip-based movements, whereas the semitendinosus and the semimembranosus tends to be activated on more knee-based movements. Now, what are examples of some of those? Hip-based movements tend to be things like your hinging movements. So um, some of your, your bridges, um, your hip thrusters, your deadlifts, uh, you know, RDLs, the deadlift variations there. So those ones that are involving not so much knee movement, but you're moving the hips a lot, um, Roman chairs, glute ham raises, those sort of things as well, a couple of other exercises for, uh, for more um, hip-dominant exercises. And then your knee-dominant exercises, they're the ones that, you, that your Nordics, Nordics are a classic knee, knee one because there's no movement happening at the hips at all uh, also your ones where you you know you you on your, your weighted machines doing laying on your tummy and doing your hamstring curls again there's not much movement happening through the hip there it's all coming through the knee so that's what we refer to as between more hip based and, and knee based uh, exercises and I've, I've actually got one of the the, the, um, the pages on my website I've, I've sort of done a lot of those videos of of what some of those exercises look like and even some of those sliding uh, sliding bridges too so if uh, people wanted to uh, to head to that they can uh, they can have a look under uh, under hamstring Australian, the other videos there too. Fantastic. Well, we might even uh, include some of that, um, some links uh, to those uh, in the podcast when we send it out to uh, chiropractors, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. No problems at all. 
fantastic. Luke, it's a, that's an awesome presentation. I think um, any chiropractor listening to that should now have a pretty good understanding of the best way to uh, to manage hamstrings. And I'm certainly like that return to performance um, uh, line that you mentioned. I'm going to start using that one. And I'm also going to test myself and see how I go on my Nordics. Great, yes, yeah. Make sure you got those hands out in front of you so you don't fall on your face. Yeah. So, yes, uh, well, the, the video uh, link for me doing my Nordics won't be uh, attached to this podcast, <laughs> just in case anyone was wondering. Mate, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a, you're a busy bloke and uh, really appreciate you uh, spending some time on the ACA podcast today. Thanks for having me, Anthony. And uh, yeah, I love I love, uh, love sharing information and, and uh, helping everyone out there uh, learn. So thank you for having me on. And of course, if you really enjoyed the podcast and want to know more about sort of uh, Sports Chiropractic Australia, just go to the ACA website and uh, join and become a, a member of the special interest group or clinical interest group, I should say. Um, that's it for me, though. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence. And I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast. Mm-hmm.